Try to relax. You're going to be all right. I'll explain to you what's happened. Where am I? You're a long way from home, old friend. A very long way. Where? You're in New York City. 80 years from the last moment of your recollection. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed uh, last week's episode and um, didn't get too comfortable in your living room and then get trapped and then be put on display for everybody to see. Even though we (laughs) determined that that's actually not a bad way to go. I actually uh, spent the last weekend drinking scotch, so I had a little connection to Roddy McDowell. I I spent the whole past week just letting, like, with my windows open to let people watch me as I'm just, like, hanging around my house. (laughs) <laughs> um, not really uh, but alright so uh, this week's episode um, I looking forward to this I had not seen this one before it's a execution season 1 episode 26 air date uh, April 1st 1960 April Fool's Day and I feel like there was a bit of a prankster running through this episode yeah uh, that, that did not, I don't think that was planned on purpose but there was some mischief definitely yeah <clears throat> Um, number one song, uh, theme from a summer place, Percy faith of these orchestra that will be around for a little bit longer. Number one film, seven thieves. We mentioned that last week, how it was kind of like the proto oceans 11. Uh, yeah. Which is, uh, funny because the author that wrote the, uh, unpublished short story that this episode is based on also wrote the story that ended up turning into oceans 11. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a nice little, uh, connection there. Um, I'm getting getting choked up just getting ready to talk about this episode. Uh, so a bit of history, uh, just because this is just interesting in terms of technology. Uh, United States launched its first weather satellite uh, called the Trios-1 uh, on this day. Uh, that evening, the world got to see the first satellite weather photos. And it actually showed that um, cloud cover confirmed the spiral pattern of winds and storms. So first time people actually got to see weather as it was actually you know, happening from a, a vantage point yeah so it doesn't necessarily tie into this episode but uh yeah it's just further further space stories <laughs> that fueled most of the season yeah i mean it doesn't tie into this directly other than like the there is the talk of like the march of of technology and and how the future is intimidating but this is something we take for granted now but that was a revolution back then so i, I thought that yeah. was interesting yeah, but it just—it seems like every week there's some sort of amazing breakthrough with uh, space technology and uh, space travel during this time. So yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, let's get into uh, cast and crew. Well, actually, the directed and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, this episode was directed by David Oric McDearman. 
Um, he did two other Twilight Zone episodes. This is his first one, and I couldn't really find anything else I was familiar with other than like Bewitched and a bunch of other TV shows he did. Um, well, he directs uh, two episodes of Gilligan's Island, which I think is important to this yeah, episode. Yeah. And, and we'll get to that. <laughs> he directed an episode of Johnny Midnight. I found oh, I, yeah. it returned. Yeah. Another show that keeps popping up. Um, oh, I'm never even going to find it. It's like a Hawaii Five-0 ripoff. I don't know if it came before or not. Uh, never going to find it now. I'll, I'll look it up as we're uh, <laughs> as we're talking here. But it keeps popping up, and I've been trying to find it, and uh, it just does not exist on DVD or hmm. any form. <laughs> it's infuriating. <laughs> Because well, I know generally if it's something like that, you've either heard of it or you have some some documentation of it. Like it's like something from back then that you have interest in. Because I know like I try to surprise you with things. You're like, nope, I have the film strip here. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. Well, it, uh, a thing some people don't know about me. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with tiki culture and Polynesian pop and all that. And it just everything from what I can see from stills and stuff for the show looks like something I need to play <laughs> down in the basement at the Tiki bar. And, uh, it's called Hawaiian eye. That's what it oh, was. Okay. I've seen a p- few people as we're doing this and it keeps popping up and I can't find it. And it's driving me crazy. So if any listeners out there know where to get their hands on, uh, some episodes from this, uh, let me know. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, awesome that, it, that um, you're interested, not awesome that you can't find it. That would be. Like, yeah, no, that's it's it's frustrating. And I know once I find it, it's going to be terrible. The hunt, <laughs> the hunt is always better. Take it from a uh, longtime movie co- collector. Uh, the hunt's always better than the actual film. Um, all right. Yeah. The teleplay was done by Rod Serling. Uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, it was based on an unpublished short story by George Clayton Johnson, who we've ran into with the four of us are dying earlier in the season. But I guess uh, he made a living once he moved to Hollywood just selling treatments for short stories. Weird. <laughs> so who knows if this story ever got fully written other than just like a treatment. Um, but he made a pretty good uh, living because he, he did a lot of work for uh, Twilight Zone and uh, I think it was Star Trek he worked on. Quite yeah, a we, as we mentioned last episode, how almost every single person in that episode was in Star Trek. He actually wrote the the telecast for the first broadcast episode of Star Trek called The Man Trap. So we talked previously about um, the cage being the original unaired pilot. This actually was the pilot that was shown on broadcast initially. Man, so many connections here. Yep. yeah, so we'll move on to the cast. We got well, real Albert. quick. I'm sorry, we oh, did. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm I just, sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Like, so the Ocean's Eleven thing was interesting. He also co-wrote Logan's Run, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. He was instrumental in the early development of San Diego Comic Con, which that's also kind of interesting. How big that kind of affects everything now. And, yeah, and I think he just only passed away in like 2015 or yeah. something. Um, there's a quote he he had here, and I thought this was interesting because I feel like it, it actually speaks to this story. Uh, he says, "For me." Fantasy must be about something. Otherwise, it's foolishness. Ultimately, it must be about human fe- human beings. It must be about the human condition. It must be another look at infinity. It must be another way of seeing the paradox of existence. And I thought that was interesting that he just didn't want to write fluff like sci-fi fantasy. He wanted to actually have more meaning to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll definitely come back as we get into the plot of this episode. Yeah. Um, all right, so... Am I good to move into the cast? That's it. Yeah. Just, I just, right, I yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk more about yeah. George Clayton Johnson uh, later on. We still got a handful of his episodes to go. 
Um, so we got Albert Selmy as Joe Caswell, your main murderer <laughs> in yeah. this episode. Um, which the only thing I was really familiar with him from was Caddyshack. He played Mr. Noonan. And then he was in two other Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, I saw that he was in Dragon Slayer, which I thought that was interesting because that was the the first big uh, fantasy um, action film that Disney tried doing in the early '80s that kind of failed, but it had yeah. um, the what the go motion in it. And he was also Empire of the Ants, and yeah, like um, he was also in the film called The Unforgiven, not the same one that we know that is going mm-hmm. to be the number one film in in two weeks, like uh, in April of Twilight Zone time. We'll, we'll get we'll get back to that soon. So it's interesting that he was in a number one film shortly before, or the the he had shot the movie, done this TV show, so his star was kind of on the rise at this time. Yeah, um, yeah, he was in a ton of stuff though. He just he's yeah. one of those people that was in everything. <laughs> um, next up, we have Russell Johnson as Professor Mannion. Um, can we just Who call is him the, the professor? <laughs> what is that? Can we just call him the professor for the rest of the episode? Just the professor. Yeah, I was, I was going to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if uh, did he pronounce his name on the episode? No, I don't think so. No? Okay, because it said it on the IMDb page, and I was like, "Is that Manion or Mannion?" <laughs> yeah, because that's going to be my new nickname from now on. Is the Mannion? I'm sure. Like, I'm sure it was just he was just like the professor man, and they're like, "Well, crap, we got to give him a last name." Because they had no name. They didn't say his name in the whole episode, I don't think. Yeah. But typecast. Man, yeah. Typecast early as a professor. And then we go yeah, on. So, <laughs> yeah, he went on to become uh, the professor on Gilligan's Island. Uh, and that was pretty much all he was ever known for <laughs> from that point on. Yeah. And he was also in This Island Earth, which was important at the time for being the most expensive science fiction oh, yeah. film at the time. Yeah. It was like $2 million budget. Yeah, um, and, and also, one of my favorites, he was in It Came From Outer Space as well. Yeah, and also one of the best Mystery Science Theater 3000 things ever was the movie where they covered the Silent Earth. So he, you know, <laughs> it was enjoyable watching them uh, constantly make comments about how everything was made out of coconuts the entire time. Yeah, so <laughs> he was in uh, one other Twilight Zone episode. And then I learned something interesting. I I was not familiar with this cartoon, but there was a cartoon called Gilligan's Planet yeah. where the same group of people... Uh, crash landed on a uh, on another planet. Yeah, it, I I remember it vaguely just because of reruns, uh, but it was garbage. Like, but you I, had, you had I don't even cast. remember reruns of that. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you. It's like, hey, what can what can we do to repackage this for kids? And then yeah. like, yeah. Uh, and then then they also would do like the every so often there was a number of TV movies that were Gilligan's Island, like Gilligan's Island and the Globetrotters or whatever, and then. Um, and then I know there was a, an episode of ALF where they got all the, the remaining cast members that were alive to do like a dream sequence on ALF opposed to Gilligan's Island. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I know they did multiple series uh, even beyond Gilligan's Island. <laughs> but I like Gilligan's Island. I, uh, I grew up watching reruns of that one, so it's got a special place in my heart. Yeah, it's goofy. I mean, it's, it, it, it's escapism and it's fine. You know, none, none like, of it, none of it, none of it makes any sense, but it's a good time. Yeah. Again, it's that, uh, my love for, uh, Polynesian pop and all that, um, that was in the heart of that whole explosion going on in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. So it's just, it's just something I gravitated towards. Um, all right. Where are we at next? Uh, next person we got in here is Than Than Wen. 
when of house win (laughs) (laughs) uh plays paul johnson uh only twilight zone episode and wasn't really familiar with anything else he was in no just i saw he was in the movie splash not that them anybody cares but that's your splash connection for the week yeah um and then i'll run through the next couple george mitchell is the old man uh john lormer as the minister who is in creep show uh and then faye roop as the judge so george mitchell is interesting in the in the sense that uh did you ever see the Andromeda strain? The, uh, the 70s? No. No. Um, the, the whole crux of that is the scientists are trying to figure out what happened in the small town that this alien uh, bacteria had uh, come and destroyed everybody. But the, the two people that were still alive was an infant and a town drunk. And he played the town drunk in that. And I remember that was a very striking thing of like this whole town's laid to waste. And there's this guy who's just his life is wasted by being a drunk. And he's the one survivor. It was a really interesting. Um, like he wasn't in the movie for very long, but it was something that stuck with me. Hmm. yeah that's something i've had on my watch list for a while you're talking about the uh, 70s didn't they remake that yeah. or something or the, make the, it a tv show they did i didn't see that but the 70s and drama okay. strain it's not exactly i mean it's not an action movie by any stretch of the imagination it's a slow burn but it was really yeah, good that's fine yeah yeah i'll have to check that out um yeah so th- that's it for this episode it's mainly <laughs> just those top three people so yeah uh, I, I had some other stuff too nothing important I, there was another star trek connection here but i think we had enough of those from last week that i think we're good for a bit <laughs> all right so we'll let rod take it away commonplace if somewhat grim unsocial event known as a necktie party the guest of dishonor a cowboy named joe caswell just a moment away from a rope a short dance several feet off the ground and then the dark eternity of all evil men. Mr. Joe Caswell, who, when the good Lord passed out a conscience, a heart of feeling for fellow men, must have been out for a beer and missed out. Mr. Joe Caswell, in the last quiet moment of a violent life. God must have been out for a beer at the time. (laughs) Um, All right, well, you want to kick the plot off here? Yeah, um, so they're having, a, simple. they're having a necktie party, which is a uh, slang for a hanging that was happening. Uh, so like it looks like uh, Joe Caswell, and, and there was a posse that had a judge, um, the father of the man that he had killed, and a couple other people were there to witness him um, going to be uh, you know hung from a tree. And uh, they had a, br- a brief moment of discussion about, like, do you feel remorse? And yeah, this is your time to talk. And I'll give it to um, the actor that played Caswell, uh, uh, Albert uh, Sa- Sammy is that how you say his last name? Um, uh, Salmi. Salmi. Maybe. Um, yeah. From the get go, like you just got that this guy was just a piece of crap. Like I, I liked his uh, his smirk as he's just dealing with them. He's like, the only thing I'm worried about right now is my neck, you know. Yeah. And then there was a whole thing too, like uh, where he said that if he had a chance, he'd do it all over again, you know. And it was just like you got from right from the get go, like this is not a good man. And yeah. He knows that if he had a way out, he'd take it, but he doesn't. So he's just gonna he's gonna just piss off everybody around him on the way out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they go to hang him, and then uh, magically, or I should say scientifically, uh, he he disappears. And there's an interesting shot of seeing the shadow of his hanged corpse, or well, it's going to be corpse, but then it shows just the noose. And then that's how the episode starts off. Is like, where did he go? And there, and I will say that. If I was, even in today's day and age, if I just saw someone just vanish in front of me, I would be way less calm than they were about what happened. <laughs> yeah, especially at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, uh, this is the same writer who did The Four of Us Are Dying, and I, I we kind of talked about the effects in that. And 
I, I was just really happy with how subtly they took they uh, took a lot of the effects in this because it could have been something that was just not <laughs> would have not looked well just having him uh, his body actually vanished. But the shadow, it was just a little bit more stylistic yeah. than what I was expecting. Yeah, that that, that worked, and uh, um, it, it's I mean. What else can you do? Like, it was just a nice, like, showing, like, that something happened. We don't know exactly what. And I'll give credit also to this episode. We talked about this, uh, I want to say last time or, or, or times before where the science doesn't need to be explained if you're able to say that, hey, you don't understand what's going on. We just know that it worked. You yeah. know? And I kind of jumped ahead here, but we end up having um, Caswell wake up on a couch uh, with the professor staring down at him and basically telling him, hey, you're you're 80 years uh, from your last, you know, moment of consciousness. Basically you, I've pulled you forward into time yeah. uh, to the modern day. Yeah. So he asked him uh, where he came from and everything. And uh, uh, Caswell gives him some lies. He doesn't tell him that he was being executed. Yeah. Uh, but soon after that, the professor notices the, uh, the look in his eye and he notices the rope burn around his neck. And uh, starts to realize that this guy might not be the best person that he brought back. Yeah. And but the, he actually sits down with a tape recorder and is like narrating about like, you know, what his ex- experiences are so far with Caswell. And at the very end, he's like, and one last thought. He's like, I don't I don't like the look of him. It's like he's in the next room. He can hear you. Like, why are you like <laughs> like you know, but he, that tape when it comes back is uh, kind of eerie, though. It is. I, uh, like, it, so it, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad they took the moment to do that that little spot there. Um, I like that. So you see this big diamond shaped uh, pod. Uh, that's, it looks like a diamond or whatever. And it's like a you know, very triangle pointy. That supposedly is what brought him back from the past. It reminded me in passing of the telepods from the fly. And I, and I dug that kind of where it's like that when um, the professor sitting in his, uh, his lab, he's all his work is there. Like he's sitting at his desk recording his thoughts. Like it's all around him. Like it showed like it was a, an interesting thing where it was, um, you know, you could have a science lab and then go away from that and do something else. It's like, this is where this guy lived. You kind of got the vibe of like, this is where he existed. And the very, like, uh, that they got the same vibe from the fly too, where it's like, you're going to be working on this, like every waking moment. And I yeah. kind of got that, that vibe real quickly from that because he had all those different knobs and wall mounted stuff and every, it was just, it was a cool looking set. And well, I, and do you I think it. this is his first time bringing someone back? Cause I feel like if I finally successfully brought someone back from uh, the past to the future, I would be really, really excited, especially if, like you said, that's all he's doing is sitting in there. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that that constantly because I mean, like it just um, but there's not there's no other dialogue to 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 consider that like he has had to deal with. Like no, I don't think he has. Yeah, but I, I feel like I would be way more excited if I was just it. That's all I was working on, and I finally did it. Yeah, especially such a such a fantastical <laughs> uh, feat, you know. Well, it's it's like like you go fishing; you don't get excited every time you pull back, you know, the the bait with nothing on it. You get excited when you catch a fish, you know. And that's like basically, I'd be I'd be excited too. Like, but you're right; he's just like, whoa, 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 just take just sleep on the couch there, person. I don't trust the look of you, you know. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Even fishing, though. <laughs> now, if I could will a fish to jump out and land next to me, now that is when I would lose my shit. <laughs> That's true. You're right. Yeah. 
that 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 that's a better that's a better metaphor. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's interesting because Caswell wakes up, confronts the professor uh, about what's going on because he's basically saying you want you promise to show me this world. Um, I did want to point out though that I liked there was this brief moment of whenever the professor's smoking and Caswell comes in and looks and sees a cigarette. So then um, the professor offers him a cigarette as well. And I put in my notes here, cigarettes, the universal language. Like there was that moment of like, I know what this is. And he's like, I'll take a cigarette from you. Yeah. Um, but then he pulls out the lighter. Yeah. And that's what freaks him out. Yeah. And I, I looked this up because uh, I was, I was curious. I'm like, Zippo lighters have been around for a while. They were invented in 1933. So okay. I was trying to think of like, was it possible that something like that existed closer to the time of Caswell and it didn't. Yeah. So, I, I was thinking maybe the twenties. Um, yeah. So you can see but, why he was, he was kind of taken aback by that. And then whenever the professor opens the, the drapes to show him the modern world and you see cars, you see neon, you see lights. It's, it's a very, you know, it's overwhelming, you know, and you get the yeah. idea that Caswell is not going to handle this very well. Yeah. And he doesn't, uh, <laughs> no, no. He ends um, up uh, attacking the professor, which I thought was a surprisingly violent sequence. Yes. When he knocks him over the desk, it's not the typical like 1950s, 1960s uh, uh, fight scene. You know, we've seen so many struggles on this that are just uh, almost comical. <laughs> yeah. That when he throws him over the desk, there's such force and he lands on his neck. Yes. I, yeah. I was going to, I was going to mention that like, uh, that was surprising. Like the music around all that too. Like there's actually no credit for where the music came from this episode. Very tense. Like you talk about having a visceral reaction sometimes these episodes. This is one of the first times I could say that it, like the music made me feel uneasy as they're talking because you knew something was going to happen, but you didn't know what. Yeah. And this that yeah, was and very then sudden. He smashes the uh, what did he smash over him? A lamp. Was it okay? The lamp. I think the tape the tape player got broken too yeah. somehow, or so I got confused. But yeah, I mean, like even hitting him with a lamp, it's it's like you're watching WWE or something. <laughs> yeah, well, because I mean, this is what I'm going to say that this episode took a turn. This is the first thing I wasn't expecting. I was expecting more along the lines of like the last flight, where you had somebody out of time. Um, they escaped death. They were not a good person. You had the professor explain that this is the modern day and you know, yada, yada, yada. And I thought the whole episode was going to take place in the lab. Like I really felt it was going to be one of those character driven episodes, which it is character driven, but not the way I thought, you know? So yeah. credit to that, that it actually, like, I feel like we always talk about how these episodes, sometimes it's like, it's 25 minutes. How much can you do? I would argue this one actually got a lot more done in 25 minutes than a lot of the things that we've seen. Mm-hmm. With a good payoff too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so then he ends up fleeing, uh, just running out of labor- laboratory, runs into the street, and you get a uh, shot. I couldn't tell. Is it the same shot from the four of us are dying? It is. Is it okay? Yeah. I know it's it's the same uh, cinematographer, uh, um, George T. Clemens. Uh, so he probably just <laughs> recycled that, and it's probably the same soundstage as well. Yeah, no, it was like he was running down the street and then he had those brief shots of like the the neon that was all uh, like different angles, which when you saw the four of us are dying, that looked like that looked like a set, like like a set mm-hmm. for a play. But then when he's on the street, that looks like a real street. But then it cuts to these images. And I, I made my notes here that on the four of us are dying, that felt more like it was showing like the pace of nightlife. Like it's all kind of crazy. And this guy has this mission. That he's going to try to you know screw over these people. He has a plan and it's all chaos like in that way. And then this with, with this one, it was more chaos in the sense of like it. None of it's lining up, but it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting how the same 
the same set can be presented two different ways and get different outcomes. Yeah. Well, there's a great shot, too, with a camera on a uh, crane coming down. Yes. And the camera is crooked a little bit, and it's coming down through the people walking on the sidewalk. And uh, I guess he forgot how to run, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Going forward uh, 80 years. I I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, I I like him running out in the street, not really knowing how to deal with the the horseless buggies, as he calls them. (laughs) The cars or the phone booth. <laughs> yeah, or the phone. <laughs> he got into it fine. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Same thing happened in um and where are they right or, or where is everybody the the first episode of the Twilight Zone where the guy got stuck in the phone booth but there it was like more like dude you knew how to get out of it this one it's like I don't know what's going on so I'm gonna throw myself out of it you know there was a very very violent way out of that phone booth I thought that was funny yeah and then uh one of my favorite sequences he runs into a. Uh, a bar and the jukebox is playing and man, either this dude just, dude just did not understand what, where the music was coming from. It just starts smashing the jukebox yeah. <laughs> and the bartender is just like, you're going to have to pay for that. And he immediately pulls a gun on him. <laughs> yeah. I wrote, he was like, he must hate jazz. Cause that's what was coming out of the jukebox. He's just smacking it. Um, but the bartender, like, that's an interesting bit where like he sees this guy violently reacting to a jukebox, which those things even then couldn't have been cheap to fix. Oh, yeah. He breaks it, and the guy's like, you're going to pay for that. And then he pulls a gun. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's okay, buddy. Here, have some more alcohol, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and then uh, then uh, Coswell was complaining about, or he's like talking about how he just needs sleep. There's just too much noise. Everything's like thunder. Really interesting. Like he delivers that really well because as he's talking, he knocks over the one bar, the, the one bottle of uh, liquor, and it's just spilling all over the place. Like he's sweaty. He's just a mess. You can tell that like he's out of sorts. Yeah. Um, they and, always do a good job uh, depicting someone out of time in this yeah, series. They do because uh, it, it's such a thing. It, it's such a hard thing to do because every single thing they're interacting with, they would have no idea what it is other than another person. Yeah, for the most part. And it, you're always waiting for that moment where you're like, how, how does he know? Like, how does he know what's going on? You know, how does he understand what that is? But not that. But they never screw it up. Yeah, it's it's so impressive. And uh, I I mean, I guess I got to give credit to the actors for that, because uh, they're the ones that really have to put themselves in that mindset. But how funny would it be if he just woke up and just started screaming for the rest of the duration of the episode? <laughs> like at, at the end and that was it? Or where he, got, where he comes out of like time? Like he, he gets pulled yeah, to the future constantly. and just starts screaming. He just wakes up screaming, oh. just looking at everything and just screams for the next 15 <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what I would do, you know. I, I know that's realistically that's what I think would happen. Well, you would just wake up screaming, and he would just keep screaming until your brain just broke. So I was going to point out that he was pulled about sixty years into the future from his point in time, roughly, um, and then eighty. Was it eighty? I thought he was. Yeah. It was eighteen. Eighteen eighty to nineteen sixty. Okay, so that was eighty. I'm sorry, you're right. We're we're what fifty seven years past the point of this episode. Like, what do you think the professor would think if he got pulled suddenly sixty years in the future? He you would know? just scream. He would just scream for fifteen <laughs> minutes. Now I think that there'd be some stuff that he would understand, but I also wonder if like just how you know like like the fact that you and I could sit in different different locations and record and how fast everything is and with with the way the phones are and just the constant go 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 if he wouldn't feel as claustrophobic you know yeah. uh, as uh Coswell did yeah i though i think the uh 
the change from 1960 to now is not as drastic from going from basically the Wild West in 1880 to 1960. I mean, that just, I mean, there's so much of a change. So, so then when do you think, when, when do you think that division was between what we view as the modern era versus like the old West? Because if you think about the old West, even though that did trickle into like the, like 1910 or so, um, there, there was definitely a point still where people knew electricity, but it wasn't always everywhere. People knew, yeah. like you know, like the, the the steam engine was still the big deal. Like you know, like there was, but there that's that feels like the past. But you look back to the fifties, even though we acknowledge it's the past because we weren't there, that doesn't feel as far away to me yeah. as you know. Even well, yeah, I would I would also put it to where he's coming from because he's not coming from a growing city. You know, like New York City was still uh, being built and everything around. I don't, I don't know when um, a lot of the buildings started going up, but you know, 1880, there were cities around. But he's out in the Wild West. He's out in basically the desert. Um, so, I mean, I, I think more of the geography has to deal with than how much changed between the times. Yeah, that's true. And he had a whole uh, dialogue there too with the professor before he killed him about how it's easy to talk about justice when you have all your needs met and you're sitting in, you know, basically, you know, you have food and clothing and, and a roof over your head. But when you're mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere and the guy beside you has a jacket that can keep you from freezing to death, that's that's the hard question of what's right and what's wrong. And yeah. as, as much as Caswell is a villain and he straight up is a villain, I can't disagree with that statement. Like um, the professor doesn't the professor talk to him like he was like some kind of like uneducated savage a little bit, you know, and it's like and just because he may not have the same experiences doesn't make him a dumb man, you know, because there's the whole bit too talking about someone in Dodge City trying to beat right from wrong into him with a wet rope. It's mm-hmm. like this guy like there was enough character beats there to see this guy lived a hard life and did not feel that he owed anybody anything and was going to do what he wanted. And, yeah. and, you know, it's hard to try to tell somebody at uh, this day and age that like, that's the life I live. That's the code I have. You know, it was, it was interesting. There was, like I said, there's a lot in this episode I liked, especially on the rewatch to realize how dense uh, a simple man out of time story this is, but there's a lot more going on and we're not even at yeah. the end of it yet. Yeah. It, it's, it's just real fun to see somebody, you know, you always imagine what a gunfighter would do if you dropped him in modern time. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. Uh, it's just a, it's an interesting premise overall. Um, well, did you like so like, he's in he's in the bar where we pick up the story, and so the the bartender who was the worst bartender ever, by the way, is like first saying you destroyed my jukebox, and you were mad that you did not know where the music came from. Let me show you this thing on the wall that's going to show you people, <laughs> and you don't know where they come from. And, and the odds are, I just happen to turn on a western at the same time that's looking directly at you. And this guy's pulling a gun. This will go well. This will end really well. Yeah, uh, I thought that. W- I thought that was funny, though. <laughs> it was Turns funny. On in the middle of a gunfight in the western, and uh, of course, Caswell pulls his gun out and shoots the TV, and ends up running out of the out of the bar. Did you like how hokey the gunfighter on TV looked? Oh like, yeah, it looked it very was... like cheesy. It, it made me think of Back to the Future Three. Whenever uh, Doc gave Marty <laughs> the appropriate western attire, like because what he thought well, that they dressed like. Well, I like that they they did that because the opening of this episode in 1880, it wasn't your traditional Western. Everyone, you know, nobody was really wearing cowboy hats, like ridiculous cowboy hats or uh, or uh, spurs or anything. You know, like it wasn't your Hollywood definition of what a Western looks like. You know, there's people on horses, but it was darker. 
And then when you see it on TV, it's super bright. The costume's really corny. It was just a nice juxtaposition between what, in theory, would have been his real life compared to what people in 1960 thought that uh, the Wild West would have been like. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out who the actor was that played the gunfighter because I was hoping that he was somebody. And Mm -hmm. other than um, the fact that he's from Cleveland, I didn't find out anything else about this guy. Um, And I thought, because I was really, really, really hoping that there was someone from like Gunsmoke or Bonanza that I didn't know that made like a quick like winking appearance as being a TV cowboy. That would have been fun. That would have been awesome, right? To see like a, like a young Clint Eastwood show up in that episode or something. Uh, but <laughs> no, it was still effective. It worked. He shot the TV that he described as a window. That was not a window. It was a TV. And then he goes running back to the lab, which evidently in 1960, we could pull people to the future, but we're not going to lock any doors. That, you know, it's fine. Every door is open for this guy, no matter what happened. And yep. then he finds another guy that's just coming in that's just going to rob the place too randomly. And that yeah. was, it was odd. It was kind of funny, but it's like, I, again, another thing I was not expecting to see happen in this episode. Yeah. Well, and we find out that the uh, professor is dead because he's trying to get help from him. Yeah. And apparently the lamp did him in, or maybe his neck broke when he fell over the desk, as I mentioned. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the other guy that's coming in to, to rob the place basically thinks I mean, he, he, it's one of those things where he identifies like a, a brother in arms, so to speak about like another, like another thief. Cause he walks in and like the guy's calm as could be and sees a dead guy there. And he's like, yeah, cause the, you know, figured just coming here and to see what was going on. And it's this weird conversation about like, you know, isn't this why you're here too? And Coswell's just kind of eyed him up the entire time. Cause he wasn't sure what to do with him. And then yeah. they have a, they have a tussle. And right then and there, I really, really, really thought that whenever he went towards the window, that he was going to get tangled up and the the cord ended up hanging outside. I really thought that's where the episode was going to go because he made the yeah. comment about how it doesn't matter if you're one foot off the ground or 100 feet, you know, when you're hanging from a noose. Yeah. And that it didn't go that way either. So like, credit to, to the episode. Yeah. So uh, Paul Johnson, the other thief, ends up strangling him with the... Uh, with the cord from the window curtains and uh, right, right around the neck, uh, right where his uh, rope burns were. That had to hurt. And, double. That had to hurt. Just yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, just, a, I, I didn't mention before too, when he was running out of the bar into the street, he point blank shoots somebody through their windshield. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, talking about violence again. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, he just point blank ran out in the street and shot somebody through the windshield. Like, I, I was not expecting it out of this episode. Yeah. So, yeah, he strangles him. And then uh, so the the other thief is trying to find a way out and uh, just starts pressing buttons on the wall. <laughs> I mean, I know about that, too. It's like, yeah, just press the buttons on the science wall. Nothing, nothing bad is going to happen there. So why didn't he just run out of the room? Right. <laughs> I don't and, understand. And then he but, want, yeah, so yeah. he just presses all the buttons and then uh, decides to go into the time machine, which he doesn't know what it is, and starts pressing buttons in there, and <laughs> the door shuts. <laughs> He's like, oh, is this, a, is this like one of those money vacuum machines that you get inside that just sprays the dollars all around? You know, but I, but the, the whole thing of the door closing, like, like very suddenly, was also, it made me kind of laugh because it made me think of like... Uh, like Little Shop of Horrors, the original, where it's like, oh, you're just going to get near this plant. Oh, it ate you. You're done now. Like, it just felt very like, all right, we're doing this now. And uh, it was interesting. I liked it. It was effective. I don't really understand how the science of that works, where you go and twiddle some knobs on the wall, and then you go and press some buttons inside, and then suddenly you're back at the exact same moment that you took the person from. Well, I was thinking about it. 
all of the coordinates were probably still set up that brought him to there. Yeah. So he just happened to turn it on and things were still set up to that time in 1880. Yeah. So. I mean, I'll take it as that. Whatever. I will too. It yeah. doesn't matter. The science doesn't matter in this episode at all. <laughs> so the noise that, that 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 weird beeping noise I was making, you you may not know, but that's that's an iconic noise they end up using in Star Trek. Like that's yeah. the this like their ship know. scanning noise, and you've heard that also in an earlier. There's another episode of Twilight Zone that used it too, but it, that, like I heard that I could not get Star Trek out of my head because it's it's such a, a a unique noise. But then, uh, but yeah, so he gets in the teleporter basically. And then ends up back in the noose that was supposed to be for the other guy, and he get he gets hung, and then the guy's back in the past that just saw someone vanish and just saw somebody else appear. Like again, their response is way more subdued than I was expecting. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Do we just hang an innocent man?" <laughs> they're like, "We hope not." <laughs> yeah, <I'd... laughs> who knows at this point? Um, yeah, so that's it. Yeah, I That's mean, but, but the one guy was like, he's like, I, he's like, I pray that we didn't. Basically, he's implying that he feels that there was a higher power at work, and that just because the one guy they thought was supposed to die disappeared, and that somebody else appeared, that you know, that they feel that whatever happened happened for a reason. They just then they're just going to go about their their business, and that's that. And it was it was interesting because uh, yeah, with, and I think I think the uh, the judge asked the minister. Uh, do you think this is the devil's work? And he says, I, I don't think so. Or something like that. Yeah. And then with uh, Sterling's closing narrating narration, saying that justice can span years. It's interesting how both, both people that did bad things met, met their, you know, their ends just, but 80 years reversed, you know, like flipped. And no matter what, you're a bad person. You may not, you know, you may not be meet your demise now, but you're going to sometime. Um, I, I, I like the idea of justice as a force, like that's something that I don't think we've encountered yet, like as like yeah. a, as a physical force. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, it's similar to like the last episode. No, no matter where you are, what time uh, of history you're at, uh, the one thing that's always the same are people. Yeah, people are always alike. You know, right and wrong is always right, and they uh, they have a little uh, conversation about that at the beginning. Whereas uh, whether it's 1880 or 1960, right and wrong still exists, and justice still exists. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of similar. People are alike, you know, no matter where you are <laughs> or, or when you are, <laughs> what time period it is. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so uh, I didn't have to look very hard to find a connection, like something to connect to this episode. Uh, Cause I'd heard the story previously. So I had to find it again. Um, this involves hanging and it involves the old West, so to speak. It was 1901. The story of blackjack Tom Ketchum. I don't know if you know who this guy is. If you've heard the story before nope. um, he was, uh, Somewhere in Arizona, he was being held up to like you know they they sentenced him to death. They had to build the gallows, all of this, and and it took a while. And while this was going on, he decided that he was just going to eat as much food as he wanted and just like basically knew he knew he was going to die, so he just didn't care. So he just he started gaining weight as they're building building this platform and waiting for the appropriate people to come out because it took a while for this to happen. Because uh, I think this was in um what was it in New Mexico or Arizona? Either way, they had not had a hanging before. And so they went to go uh, build this platform it was like a six foot drop, which is not how you want to do this for a hanging. Mm-hmm. And they got him up there. And when they went to hang him, they popped his head off. Like, cause, oh, cause, they, cause he was too heavy for the platform and the platform was too high. And so there's actual photos and I'll link the story. Um, you just scroll down and like they're, they're sepia tone. So it's like, they're gruesome, but they're not as bad as you think they would be for someone that had their head taken off. 
Yeah. But but just like just immediately just like pop and gone. Like and, and that's basically this guy's kind of like he just didn't care and was like, all right, well, I'm just going to basically screw your guys' execution as well, you know. And it's just a, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just it's a it's a heck of a thing. And then this is one of those stories that also people mentioned about like uh, uh, when you talk about um, executions being um, you know unmerciful and how this yeah. is the kind of stuff that kind of started shaping our, our uh, you know how if states do allow executions, how they go about doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's nice. uh, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that story. That's pretty uh, pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it, the, the photos are or not. But the funny thing is, like, you still have the people posing around the body, like you know how you did back then. Like, <laughs> well, I guess just, we, like, uh, I guess we just take the picture. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not going anywhere. Could just roll the head back over here, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I'm sure if you go looking far enough, you can find probably all sorts of stories about botched hangings in the old West and yeah, whatever. But yeah, that, that one was just funny, it's kind of funny because it's like, just just like just, screw your execution. Yeah. <laughs> and his head just popped off, you know? So God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it could have been worse, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like you go yeah. through time, at least you get to see cars and you get to shoot a jukebox or beat up a jukebox, shoot TV. Then you get hung as opposed to you just get your head popped off. I don't know. I don't know which one's better. <laughs> yeah. I guess well, it's, yeah. I I don't know what the bartender gave him, but I, I guess he got he got a drink just like Roddy McDowell last week. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's all that matters anymore. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're comfortable for a second, I guess, right? So, yeah. all right, let's just yeah, let's we'll get to the twist. As I've said before, this episode went a lot of directions I was not expecting. So, I'm going to give it a 4. Because uh, I feel like the idea that justice is a circle and would have come back to get him, that did not surprise me whatsoever. The fact that it it left the lab and then introduced a second, um, you know, bad guy as well, those caught me off guard. Yeah, uh, I have to agree with you. I give it a four as well. I again, first time viewing for me, and like you said, it was just. It was such a surprising episode because you knew that Caswell was going to get his comeuppance because they always do in these. But yeah, Paul Johnson coming in, the other thief, just it, it, it was so surprising what was going to happen. And then uh, sending him back in time, it was just such a such a well thought out uh, little short story. Yeah. And like I said, if you guys get a chance to see this, if, if um, I highly recommend it. Uh, and if you go back and check it out again, just the, this, the character beats that they give Caswell and just his, his, his accent was odd, but it definitely, it, it gave it just, I don't know how to describe it. his delivery was odd, but I liked because it didn't, it didn't fit the typical, um, delivery we've been seeing. Like, like the professor, he's very much like leading man from that time, yeah. you know, like yeah. that very, yeah, there's not, he doesn't have much to do. He's basically there just to explain what happened and then he's out. So, yeah, but he has that deep, rich, like radio voice and that, that, you know, very, you know, expository, whatever you have from a lot of leads at this time. And then you got Coswell, yeah. which has, I don't, I don't know what he was doing, but that it was, it was interesting. You know? Yeah. And I like the scar they put across his eye too. Yeah. Um, over his right eye. I think it was, um, yeah, really cool. Look, it's, it's a vehicle for him. I mean, if, if he would have screwed up his performance. This episode wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked nearly as well as it did. Yeah, I agree. And so, also like his outfit off. too. Yeah. Did you notice like his, his outfit was very like, like just black and very pedestrian and dirty when we were just talking about how the TV cowboy was much more ridiculous and clean looking. Like well, I didn't, and that, I, that's yeah. what I mean. Like all the guys in the, uh, the 1880 bits of this episode, they weren't dressed like your stereotypical, 
Hollywood Western cowboy. Yeah. Like they were just wearing button down shirts and, you know, they just looked like that's what they would have been wearing. Yeah. It, was just <laughs> it good. didn't look like they're wearing costumes. Yeah. Uh, just a, a good episode. Like this was surprising to me. Like I, I'm not saying I'd go into an episode thinking that I'm going to like either love it or hate it, but it, it's these couple well, that like that catch me like would have never bothered to probably watch it if I was like going through all the list of the Twilight Zone episodes. Probably wouldn't have stopped on this one. Liked it a great deal. Yeah, well, especially after uh, Denton on Doomsday being <laughs> the first Western in the season. Yeah, uh, this was a huge improvement. And I know this won't be the last time we go back to the Wild West on uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. So, um, all right. So before we get to how people can get a hold of us, I'm going to put you on the spot, Kevin, because you had linked an event that's going on this weekend uh, that's Twilight Zone related. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, Let me bring it up here because I don't have the uh, information in front of me. Um, I should probably mention this before we started recording, but I was like, oh, yeah. yeah." It's okay. I can find it pretty quickly here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you're in the Ohio area, oh my God, where is this thing? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Nah, it's my fault too. I should have. Uh, here, it oh, here it is. All right, yeah. got <laughs> it. All right. Yeah, so if you are in the uh, Northeast Ohio area, down in Canton at the Canton Palace Theater, there is going to be an event I stumbled across uh, the Twilight Zone Festival, and they're going to be screening. A few famous episodes. Man, I cannot find anything. I wish I would have brought this up before. Um, I can't find a list of the episodes they're playing. I just know they're supposed to be playing episodes of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, I saw I saw the list of them somewhere. I know that Time Enough at Last is on there. Um, man, I'm so mad I can't find this right now. Maybe it was Monster Bash Conference. Here it is. I think I found it here. No, same page. All right. Yeah, but they're playing some famous episodes. It's uh, February 26th or 25th, uh, Saturday at 6.30 p.m. So it looks like there are tickets available. I think there's going to be some vendors outside. Um, I was going to go, but I'm going to be on a work trip this Saturday. So you will not catch me there, unfortunately, this weekend. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. But, um, but you know, the, the, unfortunately, we just found out about this about a couple of days ago, so it's kind of hard to it's hard to plan whenever you find out about something like the weekend before. Um, I know. I would have liked to reach out to them and see if we could have uh, set up there or something. Yeah. But uh, if, the, yeah. if they do this yearly, I don't see why we couldn't try to maybe shoot for it next time. But if you guys yeah. are able to go, I mean, seeing Twilight Zone in the theater, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I was definitely planning on going until uh, going down to Cincinnati for work on Saturday. Um but yeah, February 25th, uh, this upcoming Saturday at 6.30 at the Canton Palace Theater. So look it up. It's linked on our page right now. So if you're interested, uh, shoot on over to our Facebook page. Yeah, so there you go. That'll, that'll tie into how people can get a hold of us. So how yeah. can they get a hold of us? Yeah, find us on Facebook, uh, Strange Highways. <laughs> uh, you can find things like those cool events. And uh, Paul's always posting some great uh, screenshots from the episodes on there. Uh, some good conversations starting up on there. It's it's fun. Uh, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you would uh, be as kind to rate and review us on there, it would be uh, a big help for us. Absolutely. So next episode, The Big Tall Wish. 
I have not seen this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like we're getting back into uh, a little bit more of the fantasy side of things, like fantasy as in like uh, what you need or one for the angels, and that's okay. Those those can be fun. Um, nice. So well, it sounds fun. It looks like it's about uh, boxing. So that, yeah. Uh, so Sounds interesting. I'll, I'll find some uh, information about a guy guy's head knocked off while boxing, and we'll talk about it next time. <laughs> you know, but uh, we, can, we yeah. can only help. <laughs> I'll be like, did you know that in Friday the Thirteenth, when Jason takes Manhattan, he knocked that guy's head off after boxing for a minute? That's not. That's not. I mean, it's a real fact, but that's not really pertinent. All right. Um, so, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, yeah, have a safe week. Uh, if you end up in the future, just I would just take Kevin's advice and just scream constantly. <laughs> The young fella I put a hole in had too much mouth, not enough brains. I'd invite him out again tomorrow if I had it to do all over again. You shot my son in the back, Castle, and that's a long country mile from an invitation to a showdown. Now, if that's all you got to say, I got this to add. I'd like it to take a while. I'd like you to feel it, Caswell. The more you kick, the more justice I figure there is in the world. Well, I'll do a jig for you, Pappy, just like a puppet. How about it? Can't we get it over with?